Yes, friends, on a Monday morning, it is OGP, one giant podcast coming to you live on YouTube and also in your ears later if you're not listening to it currently. I'm Adam Armbrecht, and as always, I'm joined by the healthy, the wealthy, and the wise, Mr. Andrew Makowitz. How are we, sir? I'm good, Adam. Exciting uh, update for me is talking to some buddies, may be headed to Tampa for the Giants' Monday night football game against the Buccaneers. So circling the wagons on that one, that would be electric. Fantastic. And actually, we're going to talk about the schedule a little bit later in this episode. We're going to talk about potential NFL cuts around the league and what that may mean for the Giants, as well as some of the outlooks for the season, things that we've talked about in terms of where the Giants should be looked at as far as a threat in the NFL, threat for the division, threat for the playoffs, threat for a Super Bowl. Come on, stop it off we're all friends here that's exciting though what date does that fall on for the uh for the tampa game if i'm not mistaken i want to make I sure think I it's the 20 right. it's the 22nd of, of november a monday of november. Night. That's good okay so if you're going because my, my first thing was going to be if you're going out to tampa you better be planning this for as far into the season as possible because even even early september would be a bit of a problem sitting out in a baking stadium in the in the tampa sun it's it's actually the week of Thanksgiving, so we're talking up logistics of like flying in Sunday morning, watching all the football games on sun, on Sunday because the Giants don't play, so you could go to a bar and just watch every one of the games, and then Monday maybe play a little golf in the morning because there's nothing going on, and then gear up the tailgate, baby, and and mid no late November in, in Tampa when it's probably starting to get a little chilly here, I, it, the stars are aligning. It's, it's all coming together for one Andrew Makowitz. So who knows? We may have a special from the road, you know, edition of the podcast, getting a pulse of the Tampa Bay people. In the meantime, though, we, we come in. There's a few different things to talk about. As we know, it's the proverbial dog days of the NFL offseason. We're not quite into training camp. I will just throw out quickly the handful of key dates that they talk about uh, when we're discussing the NFL. The upcoming month, we know 13th to the 24th of July. There's a couple of deadlines as far as qualifying offers around restricted free agents, et cetera, but they're going to be opening up the preseason training camp for rookies seven days prior to the club's earliest permissible mandatory reporting date for veteran players. So that's anywhere from the 13th to the 24th. And then you get a couple of things like the deadline for any clubs that have designated a franchise player to sign them to an extension or a multi-year deal. That's the 15th. The 22nd is going to be the signing period ends for unrestricted free agents. We won't bother getting to the month of August because we're still going to have times. But those are just a couple of the dates that will come up as we're about to head into July. But on the New York football Giants front. So last week, you know, it came out that the Pittsburgh Steelers cut DeCastro um, really in a, a cap saving money saving move. They immediately signed another veteran to replace him, saved a little bit less than nine million dollars off the cap. Here's a player that had an ankle injury and tried to play through it, tried to work through it, had to miss some time. I, I was curious to see what your take would be on potentially, because if you go by a lot of the metrics, he'd be an upgrade over what the Giants currently have on their roster. I wanted to get your take on if you would want him on this team. And yet it also very quickly came out that he's going to need some time to make decisions about one, how healthy he's going to be. And two, if he even wants to keep playing football. So Andy, do you have any interest in an offensive lineman that may be retiring soon? So it's, it's crazy. Like every time a free agent comes out, Twitter and, and other spaces basically come out and say, this guy needs to be on my team. Yes. And, and to be honest with you, I'm okay with not entertaining De Castro as an as an option for the Giants. And the reason why I say that is yes, injuries have kind of 
zapped him over the last couple of years uh, of what was uh, an all pro type of guard uh, for the Pittsburgh Steelers. But Adam, look at the last three years, his, you know, pro football focus ratings have plummeted and they just keep going in a similar direction. And he keeps getting older and older, right? Like he's not finding the fountain of youth. Now he needs another ankle surgery after trying to play last year on a bum ankle He may need six months to recover from that ankle injury. He's not going to get any younger. And to be honest with you, if you actually look at his pro football focus grade, it's the same as Zach Fulton last year. So like we, we already have that. And Zach Fulton's two years younger than him. So, so for me, you know, it's probably going to be cost prohibitive to bring in someone like the I don't think he's the missing piece for the giants to get over the hump and to pace, you know, a, a, a 31-year-old guard who's having ankle surgery, who's been continually on the decline, $8 million a year is not something that I'm interested in. No, listen, the ankle surgery, the injuries, that's what just immediately takes them off the table for me. I do. I will say it's funny, though. You mentioned Fulton, and he has been the caster that is in decline in terms of those grades. But then when you look at like guys like Will Hernandez and you look at guys like Shane Lemieux, you go... Yeah, well, decline is a relative term. When we're talking about how, how <laughs> if, you, if, you did, if you never started at a really good spot, you can't really decline all that right. much, right? Like Zach Fulton is consistently like a fifty-five to sixty kind of pro football focus grading. DeCastro one year was like a ninety-one, then went to a seventy-seven, then a sixty-five, and was like a fifty-seven or fifty-eight last year. So, like, yes, the declining is all relative You're if you right. start at the at the pinnacle of being an all pro, right? That's why I always say, you know, lay lay a reasonable base. So there's always room to grow. Maybe under, don't, don't start at the top. Under promise over deliver, right? Like if you don't expect much and then you're slightly above average, you're like, wow, great season, you know? This is exactly what Shane Lemieux is doing from last week. <laughs> yeah, yeah ex- that, is, that is very true. Now, in general terms, though, around the NFL as these cuts come around, I was thinking about, well, look at the list of all these players that are possibly going to be cuts, whether for financial reasons or because drafts has gone a certain way for teams, and now all of a sudden the depth charts look different. But rather than rather than try to go positionally or by player, I'll, I'll say, is there a group? Is there a positional group that you say? Because I, I feel like I know where you're going to go. And as I started to walk through this, I just – I found it interesting, my reaction to some of the position groups where you'd say, is there a need to upgrade? And would you be excited to take a look at a flyer on one of these guys potentially getting cut around the NFL? Yeah, I mean, a couple things. Just because we're saying that these are the types of places where we would look to upgrade doesn't mean that we don't like the players on the roster. This is what every team does. You know, when you're talking about uh, a backup or, or a third or, you know, string guy, like sometimes you can add depth pieces it's not like this guy gets cut and he immediately plugs into the starting 11 on offense or defense it it, it's a it's a complementary piece and so because of that the one place that I would look is outside linebacker edge rusher you know if there's a team that maybe sees an aging speed edge type of guy and they want to save money against the cap and they and they release someone I think that's a place where the Giants can explore. You know, they, they've made a couple moves in the offseason. Obviously, Ojo, bringing in Ojolari is one piece to the puzzle. But I think a situational pass rusher is exactly what this defense needs, where it's third and sh- third and long, and, and you want to get to the quarterback. You bring in that extra edge rusher on the outside. Like, I, I see no problem in entertaining that, especially as we get to cut cut season. The hard part is, too, is that when you think about a veteran become available, I agree, right? Edge rusher is a good spot to obviously look at, but the Giants are still in a relatively tight cap situation. So creating space for a player, because 
you got to remember, it's like it's like with the Castro. Say he's one hundred percent healthy. The Steelers cut him because of what the cost was, right. and they're looking to try to balance their books. So when you're the Giants or any team around the league, you go, oh. Look at this quality player that just became available. They're not – I mean, it's the same thing that the Giants did with, with Zeitler, right? We, we can't afford to keep you on the roster and still do everything else that we need to. It wasn't – and when, when you get cut, some other team's going to sign you for a million dollars. No. So even when some of these veterans become available, a lot of them are saying, well, I'll take a one-year prove-it deal somewhere. But even the prove-it deals are still about decent bang for your buck so that the team knows they come off the books after one season. So the, the balance of who becomes available – and who the Giants can afford to bring in is a delicate one for them. Well, the good news is the Giants are on the upswing. If you look at kind of the pendulum yes. of where things have gone uh, the last couple seasons, not necessarily a free agent destination. You look at places like the LA Rams, or you look at the Kansas City Chiefs, now the Tampa Bay Bucks. Those are places where if you're an older veteran, you're saying, I want to win. I want a shot at a title. I'm going to go there. The last couple of seasons, the Giants weren't a destination where people wanted to go. Now, I'm going to be honest. You look at the culture that's being built in New York. You look at what Patrick Graham has put together. You look at guys like Logan Ryan turning around and being like, this is where I want to be. I'm signing an extension early. You look at Adoree Jackson, who gets released, and his first instinct is to fly right up to New York and be like, let's do this, guys. You, you hear Blake Martinez talk about the culture. Leonard Williams come back, comes back and resigns. Dalvin Tomlinson would have come back if we could have could have afforded him in some way. The culture is being built that the Giants are a place you want to go if you want to be competitive. Great locker room, great coaches. Like maybe we're starting to be in that top 10 place where a veteran gets released and they're saying New York is a great place to live to begin with. The Giants are on the upswing and they have a really good culture going on on the defensive side of the ball. I was going to say specifically on the defensive side, right? If you're a veteran who's getting released, you can look at the Giants and say, when you talk about the landscape of the NFL, where can I go and be on a competitive defense? And also, where am I going to create the most value for myself to get back out to free agency another year later? And that's where I think the Giants come into play. When you look at Patrick Graham and what he's doing there, you say, I'm going to get opportunities. I may be able to give myself a strong performance this year and then turn that into a multi-year contract, if not with the Giants somewhere else. Yeah, I mean, think think of it, think about it this way: If you're uh, an edge rusher, you realize the Giants have kind of an area of need in that. In that, you could be situational, so they'll put you at your strength, not necessarily say you have to play every single down. And if you are on a top ten defense in the league and you get eight sacks, like you, you go back out on the open market, you're looking at a multi year deal. So th- to me, it it's it's the Giants culture. It's being in New York. It's w- everything that's going on. But it's also the opportunity to succeed, to, to your point, Adam, to get back out there and get that multi-year contract with some guaranteed money on it. Yeah, mutually beneficial, hopefully. You talk about the Giants being on the upswing. I think that that's the case, and it leads us into the conversation around sleeper squads in the NFL. Bleacher Report recently put it out here as far as the top five sleepers coming into this NFL season. Now, we'll get into a little bit some of the other teams on this list, but the Giants are listed among them. And their list is the second most likely, I guess you'd say, to be a sleeper pick because their wins are set at seven for over-under. Over seven wins and what this team could achieve. Now, the interesting thing is, as we get into some of these other squads that are on this list, you have to take into account the divisions they're playing in and what the expectations are for some of those teams as well. But were you at all surprised, just on the Giants piece, that they all of a sudden, after what what feels like an offseason where the Giants have been kind of looked at 
eh, passively around the NFL, right? On a high level, national media coverage has been very, yeah, I guess. I mean, if Daniel Jones can figure it out and if Saquon Barkley is healthy and potentially if, you know, all these ifs have been brought up around them. So I was a little bit surprised that they got thrown into this mix of sleeper teams, given the, the narrative that's been put out there about them. Well, first of all, let's go into this Bleacher Report sleeper squad top five situation. Like, what I think sometimes we're using the term sleeper a little broadly, a little a little too generously. Like on this list are two playoff team teams basically in the Arizona Cardinals and the Pittsburgh Steelers. It's like, okay, well they made the playoffs last year, so how how are we? How do we assign a sleeper? Like a sleeper to me is a team that either wasn't very good or completely underwhelmed the, the previous season, maybe made a couple of off season moves that were sneaky good that addressed areas of need that could make them better than what they were last year. I, you know, uh, first the whole idea of being, being a sleeper and, and, and winning 11 games last year doesn't, doesn't really compute to me. Uh, but, but for the giants, I, I honestly do. I, I Adam, it's probably because I might be a little bit biased, but I, for the life of me, cannot understand why the Giants are four to one to win the division. Like when you look at what the Giants have done and what they're building and the free agents they brought in and the steals they got in the draft, and you look over at some of the other teams in our division and you think like, is Philadelphia going to give us a run? No. Did, did the Washington football team solve their quarterback uh, conundrum by bringing in, you know, Fitz magic? I don't know. Like it did Dallas do anything to address the defensive side of the ball or are they just hoping, Oh, Dak's healthy again. So maybe we'll just trot him out there, score 35 a game and win nine games and sneak away with the division. Like I, I, for the life of me, can't understand why the odds are four to one for the giants when they really have built something. And this is the year for them to, to show up. Yeah. It's interesting. A hundred percent because when you look at the division. This isn't even us puffing our chest on the Giants so much, which we are excited about. We think that they can be a surprise team this year in a lot of ways. But when you just look at the division, it just feels like this should be kind of a coin flip for who could win, right? They should all be right. kind of lumped together in this tight little knit group as far as who can rise to the top. And then you see how things play themselves out over the first five or six weeks of the season. You start to get a sense of it. So in that regard, I think you're right. To the, to the sleeper list here in general, when you have a team, and I know there's 17 games now in the season, so it's a little bit more, but even the Pittsburgh Steelers, as you mentioned, when it's eight and a half is the win total, I'm like, well, how much of a sleeper could you be if you win 10 games as opposed to, you know, eight, eight, eight to 10, or you win 11 instead of nine? Like, I don't know how you can be considered a sleeper if potentially you're going to be a 10 or 11 win team. Likewise, for the Cardinals, I do feel like there's been questions about the coaching there, but this feels like a team that's on the precipice of making the big run. The only difference that I see here, and there's one team that I think is very justifiable to have on this list, along with the Giants, certainly. But the only difference that I see here, again, to talk about divisions and what it's going to take to get through there. So some of these are subject to the idea of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Well, are you a sleeper because the Browns are going to be really good this year and the Ravens are going to be right back there this year? And just the the difficulty of making it out of the division could look a little bit tougher for some teams than others. But, but even at that, the talent is there, and I'm not going mean, to tell you I that. Mean, Adam, ahead. the Steelers won 12 games last year. Yeah, it feels, it feels <laughs> like a playoffs. You know, they, everyone calls it a mirage because you saw what happened when they got to the playoffs. But I, 12 wins, right? It, it, it has to be one or the other because everyone says, well, you know, the proof is in the games you play. Okay, well, you won. 
You won a lot of games last year. Regardless of if your quarterback is on the decline or what's going to happen, I was going to mention is I'm not saying that he's going to have uh, Roethlisberger a renaissance-type year via Aaron Rodgers, right, and the speculation around him. But I do think that you're going to see him adjust his game. If you think Pittsburgh isn't going to adjust what they want to do to accommodate this aging veteran quarterback, like they'll find a way to make it work in a way that they did on the fly last year. So I still think they're going to be a quality team. Yeah, like like they, they were like 10-0 and 0 and everyone's like, it's smoke and mirrors. It's like, yeah, okay, so what were they supposed to be, 8-2? and two? Okay, like, like I, I don't understand – so this whole thing of sleepers. So they're saying, okay, they're going to be nine and eight. Is is what is what we're guessing? Like, okay, right. they were twelve and four last year. So uh, of course that bet makes sense to me. But yeah, the, the whole sleeper thing is interesting. I think honestly, the Giants would be uh, a shit, uh, another half a win or a full win more had it not be for the way the schedule lays out for the Giants. Well, and that's the thing. Tip of the hat, Chicago Bears. They got thrown in at the fifth spot for sleepers. That makes sense to me. That seems legitimate when you have a rookie quarterback and you could see a spark plug at some point along the way. You mentioned, though, how the schedule breaks down for the New York football Giants and what it could mean for them coming into this season. There was the article on Giants.com where it was, you know, all the usual suspects, Dan Solomon, John Schmelk, just talking about the, the – the toughest portions of the schedule for the Giants is it the first half of the year is it the second half of the year. Is there a three game slide where you see a lot of road games grouped together and it's going to be hard for the Giants West Coast travel, that sort of thing. The first thing I'll do this, we're going to run through this somewhat quickly, but just off the top of your head, first half or second half, which do you think is more difficult? Because I have I have an answer that's kind of regardless of the, the schedule. So I I look at it and I'm gonna I'm gonna talk out of both sides of my mouth here. Here we go. Um, so when I look at the schedule breakdown, because there's 17 games, it's hard to actually you know you got to kind of split the baby in, in, in the middle game. What well, what I will say is I think that the first half of the season is actually more difficult for the Giants based on the breakdown, and and one of those key reasons is because. There's more division games in in the back half than there is in the front half. And those are teams that you're familiar with. You've played them a million times. You know them. Like, I feel comfortable in the division this year. We just talked about what, you know, why. I, I don't think that, you know, having Philadelphia twice on the back end is not a bad thing for the Giants. You should be able to win both of those games. You know, I, I say that the back half is more challenging, Adam. But in reality, when you look at the first four games of the season, that's really where the Giants have to accumulate wins. So it, it's it's a it's a little bit of an either or where I think the next four or five games after the first quarter of the season is the most challenging part of the Giants schedule. When you talk about you know the the L.A. Rams, Kansas City Chiefs, you, you know even even having to to play the the Raiders who are an up and coming team, it, you know it, it's difficult. But second half gives us more familiarity with the teams that we're playing. You see Chicago on the back half there with with uh, ju- you know potentially Justin Fields is in at that point. Um, I don't know. What, what what were your initial thoughts about the schedule? Well, you say, you know, you go through this list here. They talk about there's the when you have to go to Miami and then to the L.A. Chargers in the second half of the season. And obviously that just means travel down to Florida. And then, uh, as we know, east to west or west to east, it's always difficult for teams to make that. So that is sandwiched in between a Philly home game and then a home game against Dallas. So that's a nice, difficult stretch there. And by the way, if you want to come out of the bye, we can throw Tampa on the road there as well, right? So there's this real down to Florida, back to New Jersey, down to Florida, back to New Jersey, out to the West Coast. You know, it's going to be a bit of a trial there. But I think to your point, so 
to me, I automatically say the first half is the tougher half of the schedule. And so we'll say bye week, right? Leading up to that Raiders game, uh, which will be home against the Raiders. The reason being is that the Giants, to me, feed into the sleeper mentality here. The Giants are going to get better as the year goes on. So when you talk about those division games in the second half of the season, I think it's a great opportunity to make up ground in the division. I think it's at that point that you'll see the Giants be that much more well-oiled on both sides of the ball. I think Daniel Jones is going to progress nicely. You think that Saquon Barkley will get healthier and more conditioned as the season goes on. And then you're talking about whether it's a rookie in Kadarius Toney, a newly signed Kyle Rudolph, a newly signed Kenny Galladay. Like there's a lot of new pieces on the offense that may take a little bit of time to get acclimated as well. So I just look at it as, The first half is tough and tougher for two reasons. One, because you got a lot of new players and you're trying to get yourself into a rhythm. And then you throw in, like you said, listen, Denver Broncos aren't a slouch. Then you get an early divisional game. Atlanta's high powered. So is New Orleans. Then you go to Dallas, right? When you have three out of your first five games that are going to be on the road, that automatically makes it a tough stretch of the schedule. When you throw in the Rams, even the Panthers, like Kansas City Chiefs and the Raiders, All of those games are going to be difficult matchups for the Giants combined with trying to figure a couple of little details out. And I really look specifically on the offensive side of the ball from, quote, figuring things out. The second half of the year is where I look at the defense, who may have to decide how are we replacing the production and the consistency of Dalvin Tomlinson in the middle of our our defensive front, right? We're going to be more pressure and coverage orientated this year, maybe than we were last year. But by the second half, I expect to see that thing really clicking and Patrick Graham to be further understanding. How do I use all my weapons? How do I get my rookies up to speed, right? So that's the exciting piece for me and why I think it's survive the first half so you can thrive in the second half. Yeah, You you bring up a good point about meshing and, and melding. The Giants did make a lot of changes in this offseason, even though some people are, are mixed on, on the results. But to your point, bringing in Galladay and Rudolph, Saquon Barkley. We don't know how he's going to be early on. So that makes the the early part of the season a little bit more challenging there. You know what? I, I wanted to ask you about something, Adam. So in my mind, that Denver Bronco game, like I expect the Giants to come out and win that game at home because I have this idea in my mind of how well this team can perform. And I've almost kind of banked it as a win like it has to be a win for the Giants season to be successful and I feel like I'm setting myself up for like unmitigated disaster where it's like a win I'm like yeah that's what a good team does like and I'm I'm, I'm not giving the Giants enough credit for beating a tough Denver team and a loss I'm like looking down the schedule I'm like well now we got to go on a short week to Washington we got New Orleans who's always good under Sean Payton and then I'm I'm thinking about the Rams the Chiefs the Bucks and I'm like where are these wins going to come from? So am I setting myself up for for like unmitigated disaster by already thinking like Denver should be a win? Well, yeah, I think the tricky part is, is that because we, we talked a little bit along the way about how Denver feels like the that's the one everyone's going to ask. So you'll beat Denver week one, right? And you go, well, it's not automatic in the same. But I put them in the same group as the Falcons, as the Rams, as the Saints, maybe, you know, and there, there's a hierarchy there, but they all fall into that grouping. I think to your point, it's about you come out. It's a home game, by the way, and that and that does play a factor here. If you were on the road and you lost that game and you played tough, but you came up short, okay, I might be able to get come out of that. You're home. You need to set the tone for what this team is going to be this year. And in that regard, I, I think you're right that it, you know, must win is impossible to say in week one. But just the idea of 
you know, circumstances matter too. How do you lose the game? But if you lose to Denver and then you go to Washington, well, if you lost a road game to Washington, you wouldn't feel decimated in a, you know, isolated, isolated game. But then Atlanta and New Orleans and Dallas and the Rams, like those next four games, all of a sudden you say, well, if you told me that you beat Atlanta, but you lost the other three, two road games being in there, I wouldn't be shocked by that. And all of the sudden, based on the Denver game, are we a one-win team right now, six weeks into the season? Or are we two and four with a great opportunity to go to you know the Rams at home and get a good win, and then Carolina get a good win and be in and around 500? The, the last thing I'll leave you with is that in my mind, and I said this back when the schedule first came out, I really do think that this is going to be a team that is living in and around 500 and it's just going to come down to what happens at the back end of this season when we've talked about, remember, they're going to play three out of the last four games against division opponents. I think it's going to be about treading water, and I don't mean that negatively. Just You're going to have to take the tough losses, road games, get the big wins at home, and then when it comes down that stretch, can you win a few key divisional games to take yourself from being one game above 500 or at 500 to finishing as a 10 or 11 win team? Yeah, so I I actually think the Denver Broncos are the perfect week one opponent for the Giants because the, the Broncos, by all accounts, have a good defense. They've got a lot of weapons on the outside. Their quarter is kind of their question mark, similar to what the Giants are facing. But they're a team that's expected to be competitive. They should be able to win seven or eight games this year. And, and if things bounce the right way, then maybe they could win more. It's a great litmus test for the Giants to say, like, what are we? Because if we can't handle business at home against a potentially 500 team, then what are we? Like, yeah. what, what are what are we looking at here? And so that's why, to me, it, it's I'm putting a lot of of chips in the basket in week one. Just thinking to myself, like, to your point, if you lose that week one game and then you got a short week against Washington, and you you know you got to you got to play Atlanta. Atlanta becomes a must win game if you're 0 two. It's like man, there, there's a scenario where that week one doesn't go the right way. And, and you're looking at one in five for the Giants, which is just like so far from where I think this team is going to be based <laughs> yeah. on the talent. So like I'm putting so much emphasis on this week one game and the Giants need to handle business at home. It, it's well, just sensible, right? Yeah. And listen, and you heard it here first, by the way, friends, like I, I believe in the Giants football team uh, on both sides of the ball and what they're developing. When I look around the division, Mark it down, friends. Giants are 2-0 and heading to week three against Atlanta. Because I actually think that that game against Washington in Washington early in the year, that's the opportunity to get that team when it's Ryan Fitzpatrick and it's a veteran quarterback that has his ups and downs and maybe the defense isn't fully where they want it to be. That's a nice test for the New York football Giants offense. And to your point, first two games of the season will be test for the offense because you're going to be going up against quality defenses. Then you get into shootout games where it's fun and you hopefully see the defense pick up some of the slack there. But week to week, it's almost like offense, it's your turn to shine. Defense, you got to make the big plays, right? And I'm sure at some point along the way, we want to say, we want to be able to say the team does it every week together. But I think early in the year, you're going to kind of look at the opposition and have that dictate, well, which side of the ball needs to dominate for us? This is where we want to see that secondary really shine. This is where Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley and all the weapons should be able to take advantage of a weak or suspect defense. And that's when you look at Atlanta and you look at even a team, obviously, like the Saints as well. Well, what I find interesting uh, is the betting odds of week one. Here we go. 
Uh, so Adam, if, if I asked you, I, I don't know if you've looked, we didn't talk about this pre-show. What do you think? What do you think the line is for the week one giants at home versus the Denver Broncos? Denver giving one and a half. So Denver is favored by one. So what to, to me that, that, that is the problem for me is like, Perception the only thing versus, here. The only it, perce- is the betting lines. <laughs> per- perception versus reality is, is like so crazy to me right now because I expect that's a game where if the Giants are as good as we think they are, they should be favored by a field goal. Like you're at home, you have the dominant defense, you you you've got all these weapons. Like you're talking about another non-playoff team coming, you know, cross country to play you at home. Like th- these are games where the Giants need to be favored. Right, yeah, like, Giants are getting four points if they're playing in Denver. Right, right. Like I, you would think it's a it's a field goal three and a half either way, depending on who's home and who's away. And it's not. The Giants are underdogs at home week one, and so maybe that's the reason why they're four to one to win the division in in the bet in the odds makers' eyes. Because I just expect them to be favored in these games, and they're not. Well, and it's so funny too because the more that I've been reading, we went back and said I, I think that you were a little bit more bullish on you know the instant analysis of the schedule and win predictions for this year. Pessimistic Mike, it's in his name. Pessimistic Mike was more optimistic about the Giants' upcoming season than I was. But the more that I'm reading and seeing, and, and obviously training camp's going to tell me a lot here too. But I'm starting to get that good old fashioned feeling where you know I'm going to end up where I'm, I'm all on board and I think the Giants can really do something special here. But those are the concerning lines. We'll have to wait and see, obviously, how training camp goes. Because, hey, you know, you always talk about those flashy guys that show up along the way in training camp. That's great. I, I just want, I want affirmation that Bradbury is still in prime form, that Adoree Jackson is ready to lock it in as the number two, that Kenny Galladay and Daniel Jones have the chemistry, that Sterling Shepard looks like he's 100% healthy, that Evan Ingram has figured out how to catch passes, right? Like all of these things, th- those are things that you can check in training camp and actually have a tangible result attached to it, as opposed to, oh, who's going to be the shocking player that we didn't see coming? No, no, no. The Giants need to be beyond that point. We have talent now, quantifiable talent on the roster. It's about confirm that the money spent and the moves made were all in vain of going in that right direction of winning more football games. I, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, uh, <clears throat> I don't I don't need them to come out and say, Kelvin Benjamin, my goodness, he's the shocking surprise guy. Yes, exactly. like, yes. he, he is going to be our starting tight end. I'd be like, oh, no, like what happened? Like what happened to Evan? What is horribly wrong? What happened? Yeah, something <laughs> did not go well in camp. Like you don't want shockingly, like shockingly, this you know, R- Radarius Williams is beating out a Dory Jackson for the number two cornerback position. You're like, you're like, no, no, this is all going wrong. Like right. keep that away from me. Mike Tell Glennon me the, overtakes Daniel yeah. Jones. <laughs> Mike Mike Glennon throwing <laughs> dimes in 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 preseason is now the story. Like to your point, Adam. Don't give me any of that. I don't want that. I just want the guys that we expect to be good, like Kenny Galladay catching one-handed passes, Daniel Jones throwing bombs, you know, over the top. You know, Kyle Rudolph being the perfect complement to Evan Ingram in terms of like run blocking, pass catching, making us a little bit more creative on offense. Give me those types of stories. No big surprises because that means one of our starters something has gone horribly, horribly wrong. A hundred percent, my friend. And at the end of the day, with a footnote on the roster that running back Armstead that we picked up 
has been released. So we talked about how that running back room was going to shape up, and this is going in that direction of what we anticipated. It looks like veterans mostly, and then our young blood Brightwell trying to make that little niche for himself on special teams and hopefully in the running back room as well. You can follow us on social media at One Giant Podcast. You can follow and listen to the podcast wherever you get your needs fulfilled. Leave a little five-star review. Talk about Andy Makowitz, Debonair in his classes on a Monday morning. Whatever it takes, friends. We appreciate the support. We'll continue to bring it to you both on the podcast and live on YouTube. Until next time, as Andy Makowitz would want, would need, and uh, would demand that you know. As always, let's go Big Blue.